I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. For the three times I have the opportunity of preaching this summer, I would like to take you through three places where Paul prays for the people he's writing to. As an example of how we ought to pray, you say, well, why preach on prayer? Didn't we just preach this in Daniel 9? Well, yes, but it's never enough to learn how to beseech the Lord in prayer. I think there's a few reasons we need to continue to develop, uh, no matter where you're at in your life, how to pray. We don't pray as often as we'd like to. We also don't know how to pray for others effectively, I think. We, we also don't think we have reason enough to pray sometimes, or it's only in those like critical crisis moments. And we, we don't align our prayers with God's purposes sometimes. It's, it's difficult. So this is why I find it incredibly helpful to, to be discipled by people and sit with people and pray with people who pray well and pray often and pray the will of God. So uh, be discipled by people and learn and grow in your ability to emulate others who pray. And that's why we did look at Daniel 9. In April, we got to eavesdrop on Daniel's prayer for the people Learning that prayer enables us to communicate with God himself. We boldly enter the throne of grace because of the work of Christ. We saw that prayer reflects our hearts, but it also shapes our hearts to be God-focused. Daniel had a proper understanding also of that balance between the sovereignty of God over all things and our responsibility to be faithful in prayer. God uses not just the end but also the means to accomplish his purposes. And we are that means if we are uh, faithful instruments of his hand. In Daniel 9, we saw some principles of prayer that uh, a righteous man is driven by God's word in prayer. He's fervent in prayer, repentant and petitionary. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, you see, just to kind of take you on a survey through the Bible, Abraham prays for his family to be spared from Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses intercedes for the people that they might be forgiven of great sin based on God's promises. Samson, he prays for one last victory that God might be glorified. Israel prays for guidance, uh, revelation, deliverance, gratitude, help in time of need, judgment on the nations, and confession of sin. David certainly has many prayers you see in the Psalms especially. Blessing, forgiveness, for mercy, for faithfulness to God's covenant, for help, purity, holiness, and on and on. Of course, we see Daniel's prayer in in chapter 9. In the New Testament, we have so many prayers from Jesus to look at. The well-known Lord's Prayer that he teaches his disciples how to pray. He prays for people to be healed, for Lazarus to be raised from the dead, for his own glorification, for the disciples after he goes to the cross. He prays on the cross. Father, forgive them. Paul, Peter, John, James, they all mention prayer in these letters in the the New Testament. And also in Revelation, you see the saints before the throne just crying out to God that uh, worshiping the lamb that was slain. And if these examples aren't enough, you could do a great study. There's there's over 200 examples of prayer throughout the Bible. So go study uh, how to pray. But something you should note as you study the Bible on prayer is that 
every single prayer is actually answered in the Bible. So if you see someone praying in the Bible, it's answered. It's answered because uh, God's word is faithful. And when they pray in Scripture, the example follows that it's answered according to Scripture. That's why it's so important that we know God's word and meditate on it and memorize it and be doers of God's word because we want to be praying Scripture. It's according to God's word that God responds to our prayers. He can't respond contradictory to his will, to that which he's already declared. He's faithful to his promises. We see in 1 John five fourteen that it says that this is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything, anything according to his will, he will hear us. So according to his will. The Bible specifically tells us a lot of things we need to pray for. It tells us uh, to pray for those who persecute you. Pray for our pastors. Pray that we don't enter into temptation. Pray for our government. Pray for relief from affliction, for steadfastness through affliction, for wisdom, for healing of fellow believers, for salvation, for forgiveness from sins, for boldness to witness. So as we boldly approach the throne of God by Christ's mediatory work, It's on his behalf that we can enter the throne of grace. The curtain was split. We can enter into the holy of holies. He is our great high priest who intercedes for us. When we pray by his name, we would be wise to have our Bibles opened, right? Have your your Bible opened so that you are praying according to God's word. And I'll admit to you that this is, we're all works in progress, and I am as well. I'm, I'm far too guilty of praying for for my own needs and uh, for my family, for my situation, for my own growth. And these are, these are valid things. There's a sense in which we really do need to pray for ourselves. But as we see here in 1 Thessalonians 3, Paul's passionate pastoral prayer, he prays for others. He doesn't just pray for himself. He sees the needs of others. And it's his greatest desire that he see others walking in holiness, we're inclined to pray for that which we love the most, right? We talk about the things that we love the most. We talk about those things we love the most to the people we love the most. And we talk to God about the things we care the most about, the things that oftentimes we think will bring us the most joy in our life. So if we're praying about what we love the most, shouldn't our prayers be saturated with Scripture? Like Daniel, shouldn't we care enough about those who we're praying about? To lift up their spiritual needs before God who forgives sin. And like Christ, shouldn't we pray for the believers? Like in John 17, that they would be protected from the evil one, sanctified in the truth, unified together, and glorified in the end. This morning, as we look at 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13, I want to submit to you that like Paul, like Paul, we ought to be lifting up our prayers, not just for ourselves, but for others. Other people we love and care for, we ought to be, like John says in his epistle, distinguished and marked by the love which God has shown for us. That love God showed for us, showing to others. So with great affection, Paul shows us here in 1 Thessalonians the love he has for others and prays for them. So look with me here at 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 13. I'd read the whole book if I could. Because it's just so packed with his love, his affection, his care, his joy for these people. He has worked so hard to plant this church 
but we're limited in our time. So we're just going to read 1 Thessalonians 2.17 through the end of 3. Follow along with me, starting in 2.17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. But we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. For who is our hope? Or joy or crown of exaltation, is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks could we render to God for your in, for you in return for all the joy with, with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and our Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people just as we also do for you, so that he may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Now you can see here from the beginning of this section that I read, Paul's great desire to see them again. He only spent about three weeks with them when he planted this church, faithfully bringing the gospel to them, not asking for anything, and he was kept from them. He was taken away from them. And so it's with great affection that he continues to think about where they're at spiritually, what the condition of the church is, how they're, how they're faithfully standing firm in their faith. And this love, you can see, is motivated uh, just by his, his great investment in them. It says in 2.17, let me just give you a brief survey of chapter 2 to lead us into this. He was taken away from them and wanted to come to them more than once. But he says, you are our glory and joy. He has such great affection for them. Do we pray for people with great affection like this? Oh, I hope so. We, we know each other quite well here at Maranatha, some of us for years and years. Pray for each other earnestly. Well, Paul's very committed to these Thessalonians and had a sincere love for them. The people you love are the people you ought to be praying for. So look with me now a little deeper at verses 6 through 13. Four ways to pray for people you love. I want to offer you four ways you can pray like Paul for people you love. 
The first one, the first way, like Paul, we need to pray for people we love is to delight in their good report. There's, there's great joy in, in the growth that we see around us, in the people we love. The, the first thing we see here is Paul, and he speaks on behalf of the apostles. Sometimes he, he, most of the time he's saying we on behalf of Timothy and Silvanus, who uh, he's writing with. But he, sometimes he comes out and says, I, because he's so excited and so uh, affectionate for these people. So if I say Paul, if I say the apostles, they're all speaking together on one accord. But it's quite possible that Paul is penning this letter just moments after Timothy returns with this news. So just a, just a matter of a, a couple weeks, he's in, he's in Thessalonica, and it says three Sabbaths in Acts 17. So look at verse 9 a moment. It says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? There's great delight. He's so thankful. He rejoices at the joy he has in knowing the good news that Timothy's brought. His thanks is directly tied to the joy he has for them. Sometimes we we thank God for our food. We thank God for our house. You know, sometimes we go through... um, some habitual prayer as a, a discipline of reminding us what we ought to be thankful for. And other times, it just comes out of our heart. We're naturally and joyfully just expressing to God what we are truly thankful for. And this is what we see here with Paul. He's genuine and sincere. He's so moved and affected. He's absolutely delighted at this news. This good report that Timothy has given him has animated him with joy. Like, I'm animated right now. <laughs> so see in verse 9 and 10, he goes on, Thank, What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly? What news about the people we love would have us so joyful, so elated, so expressive of our emotions that it leads us to get on our knees humbly and attempt to thank God with some measure of gratitude for what he's done in them. Sometimes the words just don't come to us. Like he says, what thanks could I give to God? Or that leads us to shout for joy and raise our hands to the Lord and in victory as we see great successes God doing in the work of his people. Even dead souls coming to life in the case of the Thessalonians. They have faith in Christ. The news Timothy has is so good that he even calls it gospel. It's the same word we see in other places as the gospel, the good news. This report is so good that it's good news like the gospel. And that's not entirely wrong to say because it's not too far off because Paul rejoices in the fact that their faith at the time of their salvation has continued. The gospel's working out in their life. I think sometimes we, we can get discouraged easily when things don't go well to find that joy, even question God. But then when we see someone growing, we ought to even more quickly thank God and rejoice in how someone has grown and how God has caused them to grow. It's not us that does the growing, right? So Paul says uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, but Apollos watered. God was causing the growth. We have to be quick to recognize that it's not me doing any of the growth. The people we love, 
they're not the ones like pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and just working harder to grow. It's God working in and through them. God takes our concerned hearts and he turns it to joy when we are praying for the people we love. So what good news did Timothy bring? Well, it says in verse 6, good news of your faith and love that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. Well, let's look at them for a moment. The first one, the first area of their life Paul uh, is so delighted to hear about is their faith. Their faith. They had stood firm. Faith, trusting in that which is not seen, as, as Brother Jim prayed, that they withstood the tests of afflictions and persecutions. Not only that, they resisted the tempter. Do you know that uh, in Matthew 4, when Jesus goes to the wilderness, Satan is called the tempter? Because he takes scripture, he twists it, and the way that Jesus is able to answer the tempter is with the very words of God. The word of God is without error. It's authoritative, it's powerful, it'll withstand the devil and his schemes. And the Thessalonians, they knew God's word. They were able to stand firm. Look in verses 7 and 8. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. They didn't shipwreck their faith. The conditional statement here, if, sometimes we think too much about the if statements. It's rhetorical, really. It doesn't mean they maybe are going to be alive if they keep in their faith. No. This is called a first-class conditional clause, which means that the second part is assumed to be true. Okay, So if it says, if you stand firm in the Lord, what that really means is, Since you are truly standing firm in the faith, with that sure faith, able to withstand the same distresses and afflictions that we face, then we are so comforted and encouraged that we are feeling like we're actually living worthy. Their their work was not in vain. In other words, Paul says the difficulties we're facing, it's all worth it because we see your faith firm because of the work that we've done in being afflicted. So faith. You see their faith, their love as well. Paul was delighted to see the good news of their love. He thanks God at the beginning of the book for their work of faith and their labor of love. Faith is something that's sometimes internal, directed towards God. We trust Him. Love is with our hands. We love by action, don't we? And this is exampled by by Paul all through the, the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, how he, he came to them, not with pretense, not expecting something in return. He just humbly served them. So they knew Paul's love and were able to emulate that. They certainly knew the love that Jesus had demonstrated for them. And the, the news of others in their love is always good news. So their faith and their love. Next, their kind affections. They were not private just in their trust or mechanical in their love, but it says they were always thinking kindly of this. This wasn't something that was, you know, 200 miles away and very far from where Paul was at. No, they were thinking very kindly of them. They were thankful. Finally, their desire to be reunited. Their reunification was their utmost desire, just as Paul longed to see them. 
they extended their kind affections to the point that they didn't just want to give lip service to their kindness and say, yeah, we, we really care about you. But they really wanted to be with them. They wanted, they desired that fellowship, that sweetness of being with the people they loved the most. And that was the apostles for the Thessalonians. So this is a good report of their faith, their love, their kind affections, their desire to be with them again. <clears throat> and that immediately, immediately ignites in the heart of Paul his affections and joy unto thankfulness to God. So follow the example of the passionate pastor Paul here. We're not all pastors, but we all are people who love others very much. And he is delighted in their good news of faith, love, affections, and fellowship. So just one final takeaway from verses 6 through 9 here is I want to challenge you as people who I truly, dearly love, get to know the people sitting around you. Get to know each other well enough that you know each other's hurts, each other's struggles. Get together regularly so that you might pray for each other effectively, well enough to, to understand how we can rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. Let the joy that you know in seeing each other grow in faith move you to pray for each other, thanking God for what he's done in and through you. So here we see the great joy and thankfulness Paul has with the apostles for these people because of this great news. So this is the first way we can pray for each other. Those who we love is to delight in the way God is working in and through us. The second way is to develop that God might develop their firm faith. He prays this in verses 10 and 11. As night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. That's interesting, lacking in their faith. He just got done saying he's so delighted in their faith. We'll look at that in a minute. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus, our Lord, direct our way to you. The second way Paul shows us to pray for people is to develop their firm faith. Lord, develop their faith. Grow them in their faith. Strengthen their faith. And he prays specifically that he might be reunited with them to complete what's lacking. So here in verse 10 and 11, Paul is finally remembering their report. And he has his eyes lifted to the heavens. And he's just continuing to cry out to God his, his cares. Saying, I want to be with them again. So I continue the work that I started he wants to take their trust in him to the next gear. He wants to soften all the rough areas of their life, to deepen their roots, to firm up all the weak points. This doesn't mean that they don't have faith. It means that who here could say that our faith is complete, that we completely trust in God? To continue to allow God to strengthen and embolden their faith is what he's praying for here. And this prayer is specifically for him to go see them, to be with them. Not just that God would do a work in strengthening their faith, but that he might be a part of that again. Continue the maturation process of their faith, which he began. And their great desire, the apostles, is to God work with their faith and continue to grow it. Oftentimes, we, we pray for so-and-so that they would grow in their faith or grow in love. Or we, we pray for people... And 
oftentimes we don't desire to actually go and be a part of that work of their growth. Uh, sometimes we, we might even say, well, all we can do is pray. And sometimes that's very true. Sometimes all we can do is pray for somebody. We are limited by distance. We are limited by broken relationships. But Paul does not even take Satan hindering him from being with them as a barrier that is impossible for him to be with them again. He says, God, maybe you would even direct me to go, that we might help them to grow and disciple them in their faith. This word direct here in verse 11 means to make a straight path. Now, if you run into uh, orange cone season here in Michigan, you get a lot of detours. One time in Indiana, I was uh, riding with my dad as he was driving truck. We were going down to uh, Chillicothe or North Carolina, I'm not sure which. And we hit a detour in Indiana, which took us on another detour because there was construction. So we ended up two hours behind, and I would have loved for God to make a direct, a straight path to where we were going. And that's the prayer that we need to ask as we're praying for people who we love that he would give us a direct path, a clear opportunity to be a part of their growth in their faith. Nothing is too cumbersome for God that he might reconcile people, that we might have access to somebody in a conversation. So pray in that way. Why does Paul desire to reunite with them? Well, it's to complete what's lacking in their faith. He says, we most earnestly pray uh, that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The work was not done. Is the work ever done? Uh, We're all works in progress, like I mentioned. There is just, uh, you know, it's like you're, you're crafting a, a creation or an art piece or a, a, the potter crafts the clay pot. It's never done. It could never be perfect enough. We're just continuing to work on the areas of our life, weed out sin, and who could say that their faith is complete? There's, there's always work to be done. Even Paul says in Philippians 3 that he's pressing on towards the goal, but that he has not yet obtained that goal. Okay, So he's still growing in his faith. Now the work's not done, and they had much to be strengthened in. Look at verses 3 and 4 a minute. 3 through 5, really. Paul knew that they would be afflicted as soon as he left the city the first time and says, he's, he's, well, I'm going to look back even further. They sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, verse 3, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer afflictions. And so it came to pass, as you know. See, they knew The trials were coming. We know the trials are coming in each other's lives. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. Prepare each other. Disciple each other that we might together grow in unity, grow in faith, grow in following Christ more faithfully. He knows their faith is going to be tested. And in verse 5, he cared so deeply that, like I said, he comes out and says, I, Paul, Not just Timothy and Sylvanus, certainly them, but I even more so desire to be with you. Once Timothy returns with his good report with the other apostles in verse 11, he cries out, 
I can't bear to be apart from you any longer. God, bring me to them that I might see them face to face, complete what's lacking. Can you hear his longing? He yearns to be with them. I was talking with uh, someone at a birthday party this week who uh, served our country in Germany and was apart from his, at that time, girlfriend for a year and a half or so, right? And uh, he longed to be with her. And it became such that writing wasn't enough. He used this archaic piece of technology. I think it's called a reel-to-reel, and where it's like an old version of a cassette. Now, if you don't know what a rotary dial phone is either, cassette's probably going to get lost here as well. But uh, they, would, they would listen to each other. They, they wanted to be with each other so, so desperately. And this is, this is the sense here that we need to get is that Paul is 220 miles away, two weeks travel away, and he wants to be with them. We don't know the circumstances that kept him exactly, but we know from 2.18 that, that Satan hindered him And his prayer was that God would overcome those barriers, that he might be with them again. And not for his own sake, but for their faith. Notice that Paul and the apostles, they pray to God our Father and Jesus our Lord. This is a clear emphasis on the deity of Christ. I couldn't help but mention this because this is so amazing. Now, if if you uh, really want to get into it, we can talk about it in the Q&A. But the emphasis here describes our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ separately. But then when he says, direct our way, that's in the singular. This is one God he's praying to, but he prays specifically to the first person and the second person of the Trinity. This is, this is amazing. So uh, know that when you pray to God the Father, God the Son, you're praying to the triune God. This is, this is amazing. This is important to note. Well, just a few notes on prayer for faith. Faith. When we pray for others that they might grow in their faith, remember that it is God who supplies their faith. God supplies their faith. It's a divine gift. Hebrews 12, 2 says Jesus is the author of our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, we know that We must put our confidence in him, but it's by grace that we are even able to do that. It's a gift. There's no boasting allowed. You can't say, I have a great faith. No, it's only because of what God has given you. And Romans 10, 17, I think is important to note that this faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. The word. If you want to grow your faith, friends, Be in the word. Be saturated with the word that God might supply you your faith. God also strengthens our faith. He supplies it. He strengthens it. He also sustains it. Hebrews 12, 2 says that Jesus was the perfecter. He is the perfecter of our faith. In Ephesians 3, 16, it mentions that Paul prays that God would strengthen him with power through the spirit and through faith. God sustains faith, as I mentioned. He, he prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail, Jesus did in Luke 22, that his faith would endure. In 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul is convinced God is able to guard what Paul had been entrusted with until the end. God will guard your faith, friends. He will supply the faith that you need each day 
He is faithful. He will strengthen you and he will sustain you. It's a gift from God. It's undeserved. It's by grace. It's a continuing work of faith in your life that will prove your faithfulness in the day of Christ Jesus. Do you want to see people grow in their faith? Pray that God might provide the faith that they need, that he might sustain their faith and that he might strengthen and grow their faith. Don't let your lack of prayer be the reason from seeing God develop faith in others. Pray this way, night and day. Do we pray night and day? Do we pray regularly, constantly bringing people before the Lord? Do we have constant lines of communication open with God that at any point in the day we are reminded? Paul says in other letters, I pray constantly in all my remembrance of you so that every time I think of somebody, I'm praying for them. Do we just have like a spirit of prayer, consistent, ongoing prayer throughout the day for people we love? I mentioned earlier that we talk about the things that we love the most. I think that this is the key here is that when we pray to God about the things that are dearest to our hearts, they ought to be the things that matter the most, the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Do we, like Paul, pray earnestly and often for the faith of those whom we love? I want to offer you just seven quick practical applications you might consider as you are praying regularly and joyfully, as Paul says here in verse 10, that you might pray in this way or set up uh, disciplines of prayer. The first way is to use your digital Outlook calendar or Google calendar to make a prayer calendar for yourself that you're regularly reminded of specific people's faith and love and growth needs in their life. Secondly, set up a small directory of people and insert it in your Bible so that you're regularly reminded of the people you care about the most and their, their biggest needs in, in faith, hope, love. Third, learn to spontaneously pray as you're driving down the road and uh, you see the, the auto union on the East Belt Line. You think of somebody who works there. You pray for them as you're as you're driving truck, pray for truck drivers, for their safety, for their salvation. Uh, spontaneously pray. Lift up things that you care about to the Lord. Fourth, Facebook. We can't avoid Facebook, can we? So we might as well use it to our advantage as you're scrolling through the long laundry list of complaints and excitements and joys and pictures of family. These are all wonderful things. Pray for these people. They've given you everything that they care about. Pray for those needs. Pray for them in areas that they truly need. Also, ask a more mature believer to disciple you. Learn how they pray, how they cast their cares on the Lord. Pursue holiness. I think I took that one off of here, but James 5.16 says it's the, the prayers of a righteous man that are effective. So uh, pursue righteousness in your life that your prayers might be effective. Redeem your commute. Redeem your commute. Take the time that you have in the car to, to pray for people. Uh, get an audio Bible as you're, you're praying scripture. Above all, we must pray for those we love that they might develop their faith. I'm going to add number five there because I love this one. Find a group of people that you can pray together with so that you might... Bring your needs before the Lord together. 
So the first way we can pray is delighting in the good news of the people we love, the good news of growth. Number two, for God to develop their faith. Number three, to deepen their abounding love. Let's look quickly at uh, verse 12. May the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. This one's quite clear here. Love each other. Love everyone. Uh, He just receives the joyous news that they are loving each other. They're demonstrating his love. So specifically, he says two ways. Blow up your love. Swell it so much that it's overflowing. Don't do this with your coffee. You'll spill all over yourself. But do this with your love. Paul came to them already seeing the love that they had, and he had become uh, like a father to them, like a nursing mother, it says in chapter 2. He fed them the word of God, and they received it. He knew that they were people capable of loving each other, and so he calls on God that they might overflow that love to others. This is what John says in his first epistle. First John 4 says, By this love of God... The love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When you know the grace that God has extended to you, it's just a natural overflow of your heart onto everyone else to extend grace and show that love to each other. And not just to each other within, but also without. To love the church, to love the world, to love each other, to love all people, to love the sheep, to even love the wolves, the friend and the foe. This is how our love ought to be growing. He doesn't mistakenly just put, and all people, there at the end. And at the end of verse 12. They knew how to love each other. They were being attacked from all angles in every affliction and distress. They were getting attacked by the people who used to know them and work with them. These were people in and around Thessalonica. He says, pray for all people, even those who persecute you. Jesus prayed, asked us to pray this, that you pray for those who persecute you. But do we love those who persecute you? Do we extend grace? Do we um, respond to them benevolently? This might be a coworker, a family member, a friend, even someone you just met. Always be prepared to overflow with the love that extends to you. I think oftentimes in grocery lines, especially at Walmart, and at, uh, in, in the Audubon called the, the highway, we can get a little bit unloving, Right? But Paul's prayer is that even in those times where things don't seem to be going our way, there seems to be a lack of joy in our life, we fail to love people. No, pray that we would deepen our love to new levels. Some of you might be watching the World Cup. The Women's World Cup is on right now. Not today. Takes a break. Starts tomorrow again. Uh, But one of the announcers noticed uh, when the French were playing England that... The French team 
were being a bit sluggish, and I would love to do it in the same English accent, but he said that they're, they're playing at the level of England rather than taking it up a few notches. You're familiar with this. Like They have a few more gears, he says, that they could access. They were playing down to the competition, settling for good enough, and this is often the case with our love as well. We, we, we settle into what looks necessary or just enough, but pray, brothers and sisters, for each other that we might abound in our love and show love even to those who we find to be difficult to love. So I urge you, friends, pray for those you love that they might deepen in their love as well as love for others. So Paul's praying, God, we delight in the good news we've heard. We want to see you develop their faith, develop their love, Finally, to demonstrate their pure heart. Verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul makes it clear that his prayer is not just that they would have that inner strength, that faith, that dependence on God, or even just that outer love, displaying God's love to people that's far-reaching, but also... that they might have a heart that is ready and prepared to meet their maker. Let me explain this point. Paul prays that God would demonstrate their pure heart. He says that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul makes it clear. This is the point. When the Lord returns, you got to be ready. And he could return any minute. He is the judge of all men. And when he calls you to stand before his judgment seat, you better be prepared. He says, when the King of kings and the Lord of lords calls you into his throne room, you better be dressed, pure and blameless, clothed in white. When the master returns and asks for the report from his faithful servants, you better have a worthy account. When the father comes like a thief in the night and calls his children near, You better be found without blame. He's calling on God that he may establish their hearts without blame, holiness, absolute holiness. Peter says, be holy as I am holy, declares the Lord. Friends, we are living right up against the end of the age. And we don't know the day or the hour that Christ will return. Pray earnestly. For the people that you love the most, that they might be found walking in a manner worthy of their calling. Pray that they would be holy and zealously pursuing holiness. Friends, stop playing with sin. Stop playing with sin. Great teacher and teacher of our church, John Owen, he declares from Romans 8.13, to be killing sin or it will be killing to you. This is the verse that says, put to death the deeds of the flesh. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I ask you today, are you praying that for yourself? Are you praying that for others? If they meet their maker today, is their hope sure? Is their hope rested on the purity, not in themselves, but it's established in them It's infused, it's imputed righteousness because of the work of Christ Jesus on their behalf. 
Are we praying to that end? As we look at Paul's passionate prayer for these people, he longs to be with them. We can see that he loves them dearly, and he prays, delighting in their good report, that God would develop their firm faith, that God would deepen their love for each other and for all, that God would designate, demonstrate their pure heart, that they would be blameless on the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, we must pray for those we love with this sense of urgency near the end, that they would be strong in their faith and their love and in their purity. Do you pray for those you love with this passionate zeal like Paul? Do you find joy like he does in praying for others? Are you concerned about the faith and love and purity of your friends? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your sovereign hand in prayer that we don't control our path. We, we look to depend on you to direct our steps. As Paul, we, we praise you for allowing us to bring our request before you on the basis of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Even now, I think of this church, Lord, and I'm so delighted. I'm so thankful for the ministry that they have been working in, through me, these people here today, most of whom I've known my whole life, that they have invested in me, that they have prayed for my faith and my love. And I just want to cry out to you even now, Father, that you would deepen their love and their faith. God, let us be a people marked by prayer for each other, that we are constantly remembering the needs of each other. Father, I I'm so thankful for the living testimonies of faith among us today. I pray that we would be those who don't play with sin, that we would be pure and blameless, that we would lift these so important needs up to you for each other in faith, in love, and in purity. And Father, take that faith that we do have and perfect it in each one of us. Deepen that love that we do have and broaden it to everyone we see. Purify our hearts, Lord that we might be blameless and holy. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.